0: I'm not doing so great. Um, wow. I just, you know, had these major computer problems and you can tell it's, I mean, I'm on Google Chrome right now and it's someplace I really don't want to be. And it almost looks like the quality is even lower than what it usually is. Um, I try to go into Streamyard on Firefox and it makes it real tiny. So I'm going to have to probably do a reboot on the, you know, system restore or something on here to get back to where I need to be. So I'm really kind of irritated. I apologize for the quality because I don't think, like I said, I don't think I'm getting the best quality either at this point. It just doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it usually does. Um, So I don't know. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour if I don't lose my mind. Um, I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal need, we can get to you. It might take us a couple days because California, believe it or not, is a huge state. When people think of California, you think of uh, wine country and you think of the beaches. Well, we do have wine country and beaches, but we also have desert and we have a lot of farmland. So um, that's that's one of the drawbacks of California is it's huge. So it might take us a couple days to get to you. And in that case, we have psychics on staff who can call you and consult with you about what might may or may, may, or may not be going on in in your place of business or where you live. Uh, anyway, welcome tonight, and I've got an announcement to make. I, the next Tuesday is going to be a sturgeon moon, and so I decided that I think it'd be really cool if we got together, okay, to usher in that that sturgeon moon via a nice sturgeon moon meditation, which you know where you can concentrate and, and, and think about what you want for the future or or all the you know, release all your negativity. Okay, so that's going to be after the show on Tuesday at 7:45 p.m. and Pacific. And if you want to get a spot, there's only 10 spots available for this meditation. Uh, Visit the California Haunts meetup site, Um, and I I have taken the liberty of putting the link and everything down at the bottom of the of the description of the show. So you Google that, you know, roll down there, and you'll see it there and you can click and it's all free to join the meetup and just head on over and and sign up for the class. Uh, It'll take you to the direct page. I'm also teaching on the fifth, I'm teaching a psychic development class. It's a basic psychic development class where I teach you how to open and close that psychic door. And, 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 and it keeps the baddies from from coming in because a lot of people who uh, are new psychics tend to open up really, really, really wide. And once that door is open, not only, does good stuff come through, but neg- negativity can come through. So that's what I want to teach you guys is how to control to open and close that door. Plus, you're going to meditate a little bit. You're going to have uh, do some out-of-body experiencing, um, some different exercises to test your psychic abilities. And and, and you'll visit your spirit library. You know, you'll get to meet your spirit animal. You'll get to meet your spirit guides and all that good stuff. So check that out. And that, that link for that class is also down at the bottom of the description for the show. Okay? All right. Now, moving on to the business. If you're watching from Facebook and you, and you like and hear what you see, uh, please be sure to hit that follow button. We're always looking for followers, always looking to expand. Also, if you're following also, you know, give me some thumbs up. Give me some smileys. Give me some hearts. You can see a heart set up there right now. Because what that does is it puts us higher in the FYP and puts us out to more people because Facebook is watching the FYP. So, uh... So the more of those you have, the more you interact you know, with comments, the more Facebook moves me in a higher area where, uh, where where others that aren't normally watching us can watch us, which is kind of cool. Same thing with YouTube. If you haven't done so already, uh, please subscribe. Uh, there's, 600, there's 681 videos sitting over there, all on different topics. And uh, I think you'll find something that you like over there. Just peruse. I have them in categories now. So you're able to go in and instead of having to search through a big blob of video, you can just search whatever topic you want. If you're into alien encounters and all that, there's a, there's an area for that. If you're into Nancy Matt's, which a lot of people are, there, she's got her own little uh, folder. So I've got everything done in folders over there. So it's a lot easier to find. And again, same, same thing about the FYP. If you can give me a thumbs up over there, you know, or whatever the like sign is over there, the more of those I get. The higher in the FYP we go with the show, and more people see the show. So I'd really appreciate that. Also, comments, comments, comments put us up in the FYP as well. Okay, but uh, again, I want to thank everybody for coming. Uh, welcome Facebook, welcome YouTube, welcome Twitch, welcome Twitter. Guys are everywhere. So tonight we got an interesting show. It's kind of different, and uh, I just I heard this gentleman on on the other guy's show, and I just thought it was a fascinating topic because mass extinction makes a lot of sense, and it seems like. You know, um, <laughs> I'm watching stuff go by, and I'm trying to see myself in Google, and I'm not really happy about it. Um, and it seems like every few few million years or thousands of years, something happens to big civilization. I mean, look at the Romans. You know, look at the Mayans and all that. Something happens to wipe everything out, and then we start clean. So my, my, my guest tonight, Quentin Wheeler, is going to be talking about that. He's going to be talking about the possibility of a mass extinction coming. It's kind of it's it's kind of spooky, right? You know. And then I know when we think of extinctions, we think of wild animals. We we think of like the wolves and and, and those animals and the but and the insects and and the um, you know, and, and the flora and fauna, right? And we have those programs to protect those things, like like the wolves in in uh, I, th- I think it's uh, not Yosemite but Yellowstone, right? And those are some really cool programs conservation programs just like the zoos people don't like zoos okay but the zoos do some good because they're taking these animals that are either on the verge of extinction or already considered you know well on the verge of extinction and they're they're breeding them to, to repopulate them as much as they can so whether or not you believe in zoos or whatever they're actually there for a purpose and doing a good thing they just happen to open up that's how they make their money to fund their studies okay so this is what we're going to be talking about stuff like this especially mass extinction look what happened to the dinosaurs right so that's what we're going to be talking about and he is in the uh green room right now so i'm going to go ahead and bring him in and let me make one quick adjustment on this camera you might see more than you want seems like it's got me kind of sitting lower too i'm going to shift this way a little bit with it so it seems like whatever's going on here i am gonna I was sitting lower than I usually am, and I don't like that either. So, some weird weirds going on here with these cats. There we go. Okay, so let me get this adjusted. It's just it's just, it's just something strange going on. And you know what's weird about all this too is that last week, after I read that book, and I know she had put the author had put a warning on that book that it you know people that have been reading it have been having issues. And I noticed last week I had issues with the laptop. And again I'm having issues with the laptop. So I think it's partially possibly that book. Okay. And my camera's not dirty. I see it as kind of a blur thing going on. I don't know. All right, well let me bring Quentin out and uh, we'll get the show on the road. Maybe. Okay, where's
1: the mouse? Hello, sir. Hi, Charlotte. How are you?
0: I'm good. I just wish my computer was behaving. <laughs> I hate technology. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about you, sir.
1: I'm right on cue. Well, uh, I've spent my career uh, exploring species. I'm an entomologist, so insects are my special interest. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And uh, most people appreciate that there are lots of insects in the world, but I think most people don't quite know how many. Uh, There are more named kinds of insects than any other group of plants or animals. Uh, just a little bit more than a million known species of insects. And a very conservative estimate is that there are at least 4 million species of insects. So we still have a lot of work to do, even if that number is accurate. And the number could be much higher. Mm-hmm. And there are other groups that are even more poorly known. There are fewer people working on mites and roundworms and, you know, various groups of animals that are uh, uh, generally not thought of as uh visually attractive necessarily (laughs) um
0: you know when i think of gentlemen that do your kind of work and and this is just me because i'm a movie buff the first thing i think of is silence of the lambs those two guys that were down in the basement of the smithsonian
1: oh yes absolutely well and another one that i i mentioned in 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 my book is arachnophobia i don't know if you recall that movie Yes. What, do you remember the opening scene where they shoot a canister of pesticide up into the jungle canopy, and then all these bugs and spiders come raining down, and they catch them on outstretched sheets at the ground level? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's actually a, a friend of mine developed that technique. He he was a scientist at the Smithsonian, and it opened uh, you know this entire new dimension of insects. No one, uh, you know, the, the forest canopy in South America is 100 feet above the ground, sometimes higher. Mm-hmm. And so entomologists had never been able to get up there and collect the insects. And suddenly he was sampling them. And what he found was just absolutely startling. The The number of species unique to each kind of tree was unexpectedly high. And then if you multiplied that by the number of tree species, he came up with an estimate, you know, that just blew the lid off what we thought we knew of insects. Wow. And, uh, you know, it, it's as if a whole new habitat had been, you know, approached for the first time.
0: How does somebody get interested in insects to the point that you want to be an insect expert?
1: <laughs> well, I I feel like I didn't have a choice, really. I My entire childhood I was interested in Species exploration, although I wouldn't have had that terminology to describe it necessarily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, from an early age, my first interests were actually protozoa, single-celled animals that you find in uh, in fresh and marine water. And I, you know, I misspent most of my youth traveling around and collecting from ponds and streams and culturing and identifying as many species as I could find. And uh, when I got to college, I found myself my freshman year short one course and I looked around and saw an entomology class and I thought well that's different and so I took that and boy it was a just a perfect match and I've never looked back since I approached it with the same passion Uh, and insects are fun because when you go in the field you can actually see what you're collecting as opposed to getting Mm -hmm. a bottle of water
0: this is true this is true when we talk about insects too, I mean every animal that's that, that that that's in existence, there's a reason for them to be to be there to, 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 to keep that ecological balance going on. You know, nope. you got yep. you, you got the snakes there to eat the rats, you know, you and you got you know whatever eats the snakes, etc. etc. etc.
1: Yep, absolutely. And in fact, uh, E.O. Wilson was fond of saying that, you know, insects were the little things that run the world. Uh, and in, in certainly in terrestrial and freshwater ecosystems, that's absolutely true. You know, in terms of nutrient cycling and maintaining populations of each other species and so forth, it's, it's incredible the level of activity. And uh, it, maybe the main reason that we're worried about a mass extinction is that most species are really specific in what they do. They do you know, one thing really well, or some of them live in one little place, or some of them have one or a few hosts that they use. Like most uh, butterflies, for example, are fairly host specific. You find them on one or a few plants and that's it. And so if the habitat is destroyed where that plant lives, then the caterpillars and other things dependent on it disappear too. And uh, it's, it's sometimes... Difficult to to convince some people of the dimensions of the coming mass extinction because we don't have hard evidence.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, there are only you know maybe a little more than a thousand species that we have really good rock solid evidence of their extinction, but that that isn't even a beginning of what is going on, and so it's largely indirect. In other words, we know about these massive numbers that only occur in one place on the planet and nowhere else or only can exist given one host and nothing else and then as we see those places disappearing right it, you know it's a simple prediction of what's happening to the others and the the best number that i see that that quite a few biologists would buy into is that something on the order of twenty thousand species per year are going extinct, what? which is a pretty, pretty uh, scary number.
0: hmm mm-hmm. And we're causing this, right? We're causing this by by building in the rainforest. We're we're, we're, we're you know invading their areas, right?
1: Uh, no doubt about it. I, you know, if if I had to say two things that make this mass extinction different from the others, there have been five mass extinctions in the history of planet Earth. And as you pointed out, the most recent one at the Cretaceous boundary Mm -hmm. was 65 million years ago is the one that claimed the dinosaurs along with about 80% of every other plant and animal on Earth. Uh, But all of those events were caused by some phenomenon, uh, an asteroid hitting the planet, a super volcano, uh, climate change, those types of things this one differs in two respects. First of all, it is mostly caused by us. We, you know, humans are in some respects causing it. In other respects, we're adding fuel to the fire and we're speeding up the process. Mm -hmm. And that leads to the second differential thing, which is it's happening a whole lot faster than any of the previous mass extinctions. Those things took place over you know, periods of thousands of years, this is happening, you know, right before our eyes. I mean, in a matter of, it's predicted that unless we do something to slow the rate of extinction, it's Mm -hmm. thought that 70% of all plant and animal species will be gone in less than 300 years. And that is, in geologic time, that's phenomenally fast and and very scary.
0: So, I mean, what can we do to, to slow this down or stop it.
1: Well, a lot of my colleagues are really pessimistic. I mean, they they feel you know we've we've passed a tipping point and I'll you know we're going to lose millions of species no matter what we do at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm you know fairly pessimistic because I see what's happening and and find it heartbreaking. On the other hand, uh, it, it you know we haven't lost huge numbers yet. You know, mm-hmm. twenty thousand a year is a lot, but it's not millions. Uh, and there is time if we chose to prioritize things appropriately um, to reduce our impacts on the natural world and create more opportunity for nature to sustain itself. One one thing that ecologists have demonstrated. Is the resilience of nature? If you give it a chance, it's amazing how it can recover from scars and uh, and you know basically heal and take care of itself right. if we if we give it the space uh, uh, to do that.
0: Well, you know, a good example of that is what happened during COVID when nobody was out. I mean, all the yes. pictures <laughs> that came back of the clear of clear water, you know, and and all this was going on, and that's because nature had time to like you say, deal with itself and fix itself.
1: Yes, absolutely. No, and human demands, you know, are just so great. Uh, You know, our population is large enough that our our wants and needs for space and natural resources, Mm -hmm. and then the pollution we generate and so forth. And we're really still you know, sort of living at the tail end of the industrial revolution when we were sort of naive and didn't really appreciate all the impacts of our actions. And, uh, you know, it's really time to become more aware of that and look for ways that we can live more sustainably and with less negative impact on the world and a little more harmoniously with the rhythms of the biosphere rather than trying to live apart from nature. We need to be reminded that we are a part of nature, like Mm -hmm. it or not. I mean, that's, that's us.
0: You know, when you look at insects, people, everybody, you know, just about anybody has the same opinion of an insect. Swat it, (laughs) it's gone, you know, (laughs) put put out those those centranilla candles, you know, which insects are in danger the most, if you know that.
1: Yeah, that's, that is really tough because insects are so diverse. Mm-hmm. that the answer is equally diverse. Uh, again, I could cite uh, you know, particular habitats like mountaintops mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. there are species found there and nowhere else on earth. Mm-hmm. And those places when the forest is clear-cut or another good example is the spruce fir forest at high elevations in the southern Appalachian Mountains. Uh, uh, an insect was introduced from Europe and a delgid that attacks one of those tree species. That de- declined the tree. And then in response, native insects found there and nowhere else, the populations have drastically declined. Uh, in other cases, you mentioned uh, earlier that California has a lot of agriculture. Right. Well, w- one reason we've been so successful at agriculture is our reliance on chemical pesticides that uh, allow us to share a lot less food with insects than, than we would uh, otherwise involuntarily do. Uh, but those pesticides affect all insects, not just the pests that we want to control. Uh-huh. And so, you know, the decline in a lot of insects is tied to agricultural activities. And the decline is uh, startling. in in Denmark that I think of as, you know, fairly far north and, uh, you know, a very, uh, um, you know, sort of tuned into nature sort of culture there and so Mm -hmm. forth. Yet in that country, over the last, uh, and it's funny where this data comes from, I'll mention that in a moment, but the insect population seems to have declined by about 80% in just 20 years. And this this is based on bug splatter on the windshields of cars. Uh and and I recall in my youth uh when you would just have tons of insects when you drove at night oh, smashing. Absolutely. Into your windshield. Oh my god, yeah. And that is not it is not on the same scale in most places today as it was. And that should worry everyone because uh as a number of people, David Attenborough pointed out once that humans could disappear tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And Earth would carry on and take little notice of it. You know, the forest Mm -hmm. would reclaim our cities and other species would uh, repopulate the places we had been. Mm -hmm. But if all the insects suddenly disappeared tomorrow, every terrestrial and freshwater ecosystem would collapse immediately. I mean, it is they are the little things that keep keep those systems running. And uh, we tend not to think about them or give them their due in, in terms of what they're contributing to the biosphere. Mm-hmm. But it is tremendous.
0: That was my next question. What do they do for us?
1: Oh, where to begin? Uh, the, you know ob- There's some really obvious things like pollination. There are a lot of plants that we're just not going to successfully grow if we don't have pollinators, and we need those. And there are countless parasitic insects and predatory insects that control populations of pests that otherwise might just decimate uh, our crops and, and uh, so forth. So, you know, they're playing all these, all these roles. They, uh, they're really important in recycling nutrients. When you see a, a dead animal at the side of the road, uh, mm-hmm. the, fl- the fly maggots and the uh, beetles eating the maggots and so the whole little ecosystem gets going there But the net result is that the body of that poor deceased animal uh, gets broken down into the constituents that then go back into the system and and are available for life to continue. And insects, even though they're small, their numbers are astronomical. And so their collective impact is just enormous. I mean, it's incredible what they do. But to me as an entomologist, my answer is a little more fluffy and esoteric. I I just find them incredibly inspiring and beautiful. Uh, if you look at most insects closely, uh, I've yet to see one that didn't have something truly amazing or remarkable about it. And I concede that they're not all attractive as a whole animal, mm-hmm. although many are. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, many butterflies and moths and so forth that, you know, people collect and pay great money for and so forth because of their beauty. Mm -hmm. Um, But most insects, if you look closely at their, at their body structure uh, in detail, it's just absolutely amazing. I mean, it's almost endless. And uh, one thing that I find particularly fascinating is when you see insects that mimic other insects Mm
2: -hmm. I've
1: collected. uh, I remember collecting a fly in Panama and at first Glance, it looked like a beetle, but it turned out to be this little body part between the base of its wings was was greatly enlarged, and it even had a line impressed running down the middle that looked like the two hardened wings of a beetle coming together. I mean, the (laughs) level of detail of this sort of uh, mimicry is just amazing, and and to me, it's that sense of wonder of exploring the diversity of life that I find most amazing, and so as we lose species that we haven't yet discovered and don't know, I think we're losing something really precious that tells us something about ourselves, um, uh, you know, beyond what they do functionally for us, which, you know, any, any one of those is reason enough to keep them around. but, But for me, it's appreciating
0: them for themselves. Now I I've heard mentioned, and I heard you mentioned on the other show about plants. I mean, with those plants being in danger, that's what they're feeding on, right? Because, like you say, so you know, what do they eat? I mean, we, we went over the whole maggot thing. You know, everybody's aware of the maggots, but what do insects? <laughs> what do insects tend to eat?
1: Well, again, uh, it it depends on which insect you're talking about. Mm-hmm. There are massive numbers that are herbivores and feed on plants, but even among those, there are specialists that feed only on leaves or only on pollen from the flower uh, or that feed on the nectar in the flower there are those that bore into the woody tissues Uh, others feed on the roots Uh, and so you know even with just something as simple as a plant as the host there's still a long list of answers in terms of what insects do as an association with that plant uh, but then when you move beyond plants, uh, insects do just about everything you can imagine. Uh, you know, there are there are parasitic insects. There are, uh, uh, you know, insects that are in, uh, live in, in tight association with both plants and groups <laughs> like fungi. Uh, and, uh, you know, the intricacies of their relationships is just amazing. And most things you can think of that, some other animal does, we can probably find an insect or two as examples of doing it also. The one mm-hmm. place that insects have not been successful uh, are the oceans. There are very few insects that intrude upon uh, upon the ocean. Uh, mm-hmm. But in terms of fresh water and, and the land, uh, there are very few things that some insect hasn't figured out how to do.
0: Well, you know, you can, you can even use them med- Excuse me, medicinally.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, no question. And again, knowing maybe 25% of insects at uh-huh. best, and probably uh-huh. somewhat less than that, we haven't begun to explore that uh-huh. aspect. And uh, the chemistry of insects is incredibly complex. And so there are just, you know, all kinds of things that we haven't uh, thought of. Uh, you know, there are digitalis-like compounds that have been isolated from water beetles that can be used to treat heart attacks. Um, and uh, so you're you're absolutely right that there's, uh, you know, huge horizons in exploring uh, the chemistry associated with, frankly, all groups. I mean, fungi, uh, insects, and so forth. Do you
0: think, you know, to try and... Conserve, you know, to do a conservation thing with them. Do you think uh, like shows like this? You know, you're you getting the word out about, you know, about them. How hard is it? Because people look at insects and they just think, ah, they're nasty. How hard <laughs> is it to get people to change their views?
1: Yeah, well, you're so right about that. They they do get a bad name,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I'll concede that there are a relatively small number of insects that have earned that bad name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I sometimes encounter people who um, think it's terrible that I collect insects and put them into museum collections. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because insects are so complex in their structures and because they're so small, there's no way to adequately study them while they're Mm -hmm. alive. You have to have Mm -hmm. specimens you can study in detail. That's unfortunate. I take no pleasure in killing insects. I love insects. I've devoted my life to them. Uh, But I've yet to meet someone infested with head lice who makes the same defense of insects i mean right. all it takes is one one infestation <laughs> and suddenly well, maybe an exception for that one uh because they can be terrible nuisances you know lice and fleas and uh cockroaches, mosquitoes, yeah. cockroaches, cockroaches. absolutely absolutely <laughs> and so uh so it's a mixed bag i mean you want to be you know sensitive to but it's it's worth always remembering that the vast majority of species are doing something that if we fully understood it, we would consider it the the good side of the ledger far greater than than the bad. Mosquitoes are a fine example. We think of mosquitoes Mm -hmm. as a real nuisance. We know they transmit some really terrible diseases, Mm -hmm. so they're real medical uh, threats. But the number of species that actually transmit... Human diseases and the number of species that bite us while we're trying to have a, a picnic or a cookout is such a small fraction, but it gives mosquitoes as a whole a bad name. There, there are, you know, you just a, a few dozen at most that are the real culprits. And yet there are at least 3,000 species of mosquitoes in the world. And there are even some that if I could show it to you, you would agree was beautiful They're mm-hmm. They have beautiful colors, uh, elaborate, uh, feather, like, uh, hairs running along their margins and so forth. And those, that particular group actually don't feed on blood at all. And so, uh, you know, but they get tarred with the same, you know, uh, feather as, uh, as the blood feeders that we all, that we all hate. Um, and, and your sense of how most people see insects is so right.
2: Mm-hmm. When
1: uh, when I was an undergraduate, one of my summer jobs was working for the Ohio Department of Health. And my job was to collect mosquitoes. There was an outbreak of eastern equine encephalitis. And we were trying to find out where the mosquito populations were that were uh, at, at fault Mm -hmm. and i would have to knock on doors of property owners and ask for permission to set up traps to catch mosquitoes Mm -hmm. and invariably they would grant permission and then say catch them all (laughs) 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 they they had no trouble (laughs) so uh but it's uh you know if the world had no insects tomorrow though i guarantee we all would suddenly regret that you know we wouldn't have the fruits we love because there'd be no pollinators Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and just so, you know, so many aspects of insects are so important to life on our our planet.
0: I love my honey. That's all I can say. Gotta Absolutely. have them bees. Gotta have them honeybees, boy.
2: Absolutely.
0: Um, when you were talking about setting traps, I know out here where I live, we have a problem with West Nile virus coming in, you know, from the mosquitoes. And they're not spraying in my area yet, but they're considering uh, spraying in another area. I mean, like you say, if, if if we keep and as horrible as it is for that virus to be there, if we if we spray them to the point that they're extinct, there's the, it's going to throw everything off balance.
1: Yeah, ab- right. I mean, the the chemical controls are just not specific enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they may be effective on mosquitoes, but you're killing a lot of other beneficial insects sure. uh, at the same time. And you know, there's a lot of research <clears throat> that's been done. A lot of research going on trying to find other control measures, biocontrol measures, natural diseases of mosquitoes, uh, parasites that might attack mosquitoes. There are certain fish that have been introduced that feed on mosquito larvae in the water, right. and you know, all these things. And, and they're effective to some degree. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you can certainly get impressive results by you know dumping a bunch of pesticides on them uh, but boy you kill an awful lot of beneficial insects in the bargain and you know we may ultimately be losing more than we're gaining uh, with that strategy
0: well the other thing that comes to mind too is that um again you know we, we talk about the eco balance but it's it's, it's like when it, with it anything else we have as humans we have in, infringed on their territory it's not the other way around it's not them coming to us it's us causing this and that's what makes it so awful
1: Uh, there is no question that you're right on that count uh you know the earliest insects appeared uh you know at least 400 million years ago Mm -hmm. and so they were here a whole lot longer than we have been we are late to the party And, uh, you know, things were going along rather swimmingly for the insects until we got here. (laughs) And so uh, it's really, I, I think that's a very healthy attitude to remind ourselves that, you know, there is this balance and that we are having, you know, we're really the first species that's capable of having the impact we're having worldwide, you know, to affect so many species around the entire globe uh, to alter the climate of an entire planet. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's amazing the awesome power that we have, but that needs to come with responsibility and, and with awareness of its impacts. I mean, we're, we're smart enough, at least at moments, uh, -hmm. as a species, uh, that we ought to accept the responsibility of our actions and, um, And again, getting back to your earlier question about, you know, what we might be able to do about this mass extinction. I want to mention uh, E.O. Wilson's one of his more recent books that he wrote before he passed away, which uh, was called Half Earth. And uh, it's a fantastic read if somebody is interested specifically in how we might go about conserving biodiversity Uh, based on his approach Were we to set aside 50% of the surface area of the planet for biodiversity,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: we would save, by his calculation, perhaps 85% of species could be saved, which would just be tremendous. I mean, there's nothing else we could do that would have a more positive Mm long-term impact on the health of the planet. And he doesn't mean fencing it off and never setting foot there by, by, by handing it over to biodiversity. You know, they could right. still be areas that we enjoy and we visit and so forth. Uh, but we leave it ecologically intact so that it can sustain itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just thinking uh, while you were talking, uh, I lost a thought. <laughs> so sorry how this sorry day is, about that. was so oh, fine. This is how this day is going. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. What insect impresses you the most?
1: Oh, my. That's like asking me which of my children I like best. That's that's not a fair question. Uh, it, it's really tough. Uh, one off the top of my head that I especially was excited when I discovered it is a little flightless beetle that that lives uh, in the Smoky Mountains in, in uh, the southeastern U.S. And it has a very specific sort of habit. It feeds only on Plasmodial slime molds, Mixomycetes, which is probably a group most listeners have not heard or thought of, mm-hmm. uh, but it is another ancient group that's been around for a very long time, and a number of beetles have become specialists feeding on them. And uh, but what what I found most exciting about these beetles is. They have lost their wings, so they can't fly. They have lost their eyes, so they're entirely blind. They do have a few facets that can detect light, but they certainly can't see any images. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And they're found in the leaf litter on the forest floor, but they're dependent on this resource that I have spent countless hours crawling around through the forest trying to find myself. And yet these blind and flightless beetles find them routinely and are doing quite well. And uh, it, it kind of puts you in your place. I mean, they are so good at what they do, and I'm so bad at locating host slime molds, huh. uh, you know, I would never make it uh, in their world. Right. Um, but they're really just neat. I mean, one of the species, they're actually a group of these species. One of them I actually named after Darth Vader because the head is sort of broad and flat and looks kind of like a, ma- a metallic helmet. Uh, with no, you know, with a little slit on the front with just barely any eyes. And uh, it reminded me of uh, of Darth Vader's helmet. And uh, uh, so that that's one of my favorite ones, anyhow.
0: What about, I mean, I know you touched on this earlier. You know, we, we get the migration of monarch butterflies, which is really cool. You know, a certain time of year. And it's yeah. always in this one area. They land on the bushes. You can take photos of them. What do you think is one of the most... Um, pretty insects that you've seen you know what i mean
1: yeah um uh, well there's again there are so many but uh, i mean certainly i've been in tropical forests when morpho butterflies came by okay. and they are brilliant blue metallic color and when a shaft of sunlight hits them while they're in flight uh there are a few things that compare with that i mean it's just absolutely breathtaking and um uh, after, you know, spending decades studying insects, my sense of what's beautiful is, has departed from the general public, I fear. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but there are, I mean, even among my specialty beetles, there are obviously lots of brilliantly colored beetles, some metallic colors, mm-hmm. some, mm-hmm. you know, bright um, reds and yellows and so forth that are anyone would find beautiful at first sight. Uh, one of my students works on this group called Pleasing Fungus Beetles. And there are some that we've described as looking like Navajo rugs. They're sort of, yes. they're sort of uh, you know, there's one species that's yellow with these bright yellow sort of zigzag patterns on its back, very geometric looking. And it's just not something you expect on an insect, you know, right. at first glance. And, right. uh, you know, just beautiful patterns. But uh, But the more you study insects and the more you get to know them, the more beauty I find in them. I mean, it's just awe inspiring how, how, um, and sometimes it's a particular structure that I find beautiful rather than, rather than the whole insect. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, I realize that beauty and insects are not often used in the same (laughs) sentence, (laughs) but that's unfortunate. (laughs)
0: um you know when, when you look at this as a whole and i wanted to ask you about this too the people that feed on this i mean there's just humans that eat these things mm-hmm. and i mean is that cutting in excuse me is, is that cutting into the population of insects when they collect them to eat them or are they being farmed somewhere you know to be eaten
1: yeah that well both of those are true i mean there are some that are farmed uh and consumed in most cases where they're being gathered uh, to be eaten, the cases I'm aware of, they're not a large enough proportion are not being gathered that it's endangering the populations.
2: Okay. You know, if okay. it
1: suddenly became as, you know, if the, if they had the same demand as Coca-Cola tomorrow, then right. get, there might be right. some populations that were in trouble. Uh, and it's funny, though, our, you know, the human reaction to the mere idea of eating insects. When, mm-hmm. when I taught introductory uh, insect taxonomy, uh, usually the last lab period, uh, I would bring in a number of insects that we would cook and eat. And the reaction of the students was just fascinating. Some were totally repulsed and didn't partake at all. There were others, you know, lining up to ask for seconds and...
2: You
1: know? <laughs> and it's funny, but in our culture, it is so foreign to us the idea of eating insects.
2: Right. But in
1: reality, if you you know set your preconceptions aside, in reality they're high in protein, low in fat, uh, uh, you know, easy to produce in mass, and uh, can be prepared in a way that's tasty. Uh, mm-hmm. Although some some of the I'm no chef, so some of the stuff we were doing was basically just hiding the flavor, not not bringing right. out the best flavor. You know, when you have chocolate-covered grasshoppers, it's really the chocolate you're enjoying. Let's face it.
0: Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> tastes like chicken. Everything tastes like chicken. <laughs> That's right. Oh. Um, how long do insects live? Because I, I know yeah, I know there's stories about flies having like a like a week worth of life. Mm-hmm what's the lifespan for these things
1: well again uh, this is another reason i'm an entomologist they are just so fascinating the uh, an incredible range of answers to that question at one extreme there are some small mayflies uh that's the order uh, ephemeroptera some mm-hmm. small mayflies that actually live at most about 20 minutes as adults now, they'll spend a, a year as immatures feeding underwater mm-hmm. and so on, but then they emerge as adults. Their mouth parts never develop because they don't live long enough to eat a meal. So they, they come out, they mate. The female doesn't even have the time to lay eggs. She falls back in the water. Her abdomen ruptures, and the eggs are released into the water, and then the cycle begins again. So you've got 20 minutes for an adult life on the one hand, on the other hand, there's some beetles that live in the desert that are indestructible. I haven't seen the Oppenheimer movie yet, but, <laughs> but one thing that will be in the back of my mind when I do is that if we ever do destroy ourselves with a nuclear war, I uh-huh. guarantee you there will be insects living at the other end of it. I mean, we, we may do ourselves in, but, but some insects are so hardy, it's beyond belief. Uh, my major professor at Ohio State was Chuck Triplehorn, and his specialty were uh, darkling beetles from the desert. He had one pet darkling beetle for 18 years, same beetle. <laughs> and it was so old that uh, the, the foot of an insect consists of, of five segments, five tarsomeres.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All five had completely worn off. So this poor thing would sit in this little terrarium on his desk. If he was having an apple for lunch, he'd take a little piece of the apple and put it in that terrarium. And you'd see the beetle's antennae start to move. It would smell that apple. And then it would get up and walk along on these stubs of legs that it had left waddle over and, and feed on that apple. But, uh, uh, you know, these insects are <clears throat> virtually indestructible. I, I had a friend in London who was collecting weevils in North Africa in the desert. And he had collected some, brought them back alive in a little uh, pillbox, a little metal uh, mm-hmm. container. And the container was sitting on his bookshelf and accidentally fell behind some books and was forgotten. Two years later, he found it when he moved a book off the shelf he opened the container and the weevil got up and started walking around and it had no water, no food wow. for two years wow. and uh, that's tough. <laughs> so, so anyhow, the answer to the lifespan is, you know, from minutes uh, to a surprising number of years for an insect, uh, mm-hmm. but an average, you know, uh, somewhere, you know, from weeks to months, uh, if, if there is an average, um, but, uh, but, you know, all kinds of which, again, is why they're so fascinating. I mean, they've, mm-hmm. they've solved the problem of survival in so many different ways uh, that it's amazing. And uh, w- one thing I want to mention before I forget to is Oops. we're talking about the prospect of a mass extinction. Right. And, and I certainly am a strong supporter of Wilson's half-Earth concept for preserving, say, 85% of species. Mm-hmm. And I sure want to see us save every species we can, but I'm fatalistic enough to be convinced with the patterns the way they are Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that no matter our best intentions, no matter what we do, millions of species I think will be lost in the next two to 300 years. And Mm -hmm. so for me, I'm interested in the diversity of life and Mm -hmm. I'm interested in learning the history of life and uh, I like to think of the history of life. as like a big jigsaw puzzle mm-hmm. and, uh, a conservative estimate for the number of insects on earth is 10 million. Mm-hmm. And since we began modern taxonomy in 1758, we've named about 2 million. So there are at least 8 million species that are completely unknown to science. And so my concern, in addition to doing everything we can to conserve biodiversity, is mm-hmm. that we do everything we can to learn the diversity and history of life before all the evidence is erased. There is so much we can learn from species, even after they've gone extinct, if we've mm-hmm. bothered to discover that they exist and uh, and preserve a few specimens in museums and preserve what evidence we can of, of what they did.
0: Question in the chat room is, um, from Benjamin, is... Um, He's a, I've heard that there's some mushroom species that can survive in space. Are there any insects that, that could possibly survive in space?
1: Well, it, it, again, some of these desert insects, I. it would be worth testing that idea. Mm-hmm. I can say that NASA has sent tardigrades, which are very simple animals, and uh, they're actually related to velvet worms, which is a group most people don't know, unfortunately, another cool animal if you ever have the chance to see one but tardigrades are small they are closely related to velvet worms and to arthropods which include the insects so they are a relative of insects Mm -hmm. and um, they're sometimes called water bears uh, and sometimes called moss piglets and uh, you can find them in moss uh, and other sort of places but they have the ability to go into a, a almost suspended animation. They can, they can uh, dry up, reduce their metabolism very close to zero,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and persist for a surprising long period of time. Then when water comes back, they spring back to life, and they're animals again walking around and, and feeding. NASA sent some into space, and they are animals that have survived – deep space uh you know with no at, uh, atmospheric pressure whatsoever mm-hmm. uh, and we're able to survive it so uh there's not yet evidence that insects definitely can do that but it wouldn't surprise me if some of these hardy desert guys could give it a good go
0: absolutely now to like you say uh, hopefully we can you know slow slow this extinction down and, and the way to do that would be what for, for you people, you know, people like you to get out to educate the public because obviously the public doesn't view insects quite like you do.
1: <laughs> That's true. Uh, and it, it really well, one thing that I think is really good is that in recent decades, conservation groups have really increasingly focused on saving places rather than saving individual species. Mm-hmm. And I understand that the appeal of a cutan cuddly mammal of some kind being the poster child for conservation and that's fine if it works it's especially fine uh but in reality it's it's that idea of setting aside a diverse ecosystem and letting it be is the Mm -hmm. is the most important uh thing but we have to value the other species and as you say recognize that they were here before we were and have some claim to this planet at least as much as we do And, uh, you know, and therefore allow them that possibility of, of existing without totally destroying their habitats. But, uh, but, but humans, as we painfully know, have sort of an insatiable appetite Mm -hmm. and it will take a mind change to see things differently. So Mm -hmm. I, I actually think maybe there's two fruitful ways of looking at it. One those of us who love nature are probably easily convinced to, you know, conserve places and let, let species survive. And that's good right. to the extent we succeed. For the cynics who really want to know what's in it for me, uh, I think we have an answer too, which is um, there's a woman, Janine Benyus, who has done a tremendous job popularizing the idea of biomimicry, of looking at other species and getting clues for how we could live better ourselves, how we can live more efficiently and less wastefully and so forth. And I think that is an incredibly important, uh, I mean, both an important argument for conservation,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but equally an important argument for what I'm concerned about, which is to complete an inventory of life on this planet before millions of species are gone, because even extinct species can continue to teach us lessons about how we could live more sustainably. And I think I think the best hope for humans maintaining a comfortable lifestyle and allowing enough of biodiversity to exist to sustain itself is really biomimicry. It's mm-hmm. not looking at, at nature as a resource that we can harvest and use, but looking at it as an inexhaustible library of ideas that we can tap to solve problems in better ways. And we've well, humans have always done this. I mean, when a caveman first draped uh, a, <clears throat> you know, skin over his shoulders to right. stay warm, that he was mimicking the animal he skinned, uh, and and you know, certainly people seeing birds fly, no doubt inspired aviation, and and so biomimicry is hardly new. Mm-hmm. But we've but uh, Janine Benyus has done such a good job, sort of ratcheting it up to a more purposeful activity rather than just sort of a happy uh, serendipity once in a while and actually connecting real problems with real models in nature that point us to new solutions and so i think uh the inventory that i want to see for basic science reasons to just understand the history of life will also unlock a treasure trove of ideas for biomimicry that we can use to better our own lives and allow other species to to live too
0: the thing I was just thinking about too is that, you know, like we did with the ozone layer, you know, when, when all that started, we could control what we were doing here. The UK was cooperative, but it's the other countries that may not want to cooperate. And when I think about what's going on with the insects, like you say, the other countries, a lot of them, like Africa, you know, we'll go into the, the, the you know, where the rainforests are, a lot of those people are okay with it but you got the people like, uh, like over here in the United States. It's the educated, I'm not going to say non-educated, but it's the people here that should know better that are, yep. that, that are using the pesticides and all that.
1: Right, right, absolutely. And, you know, part of it is that most of us sort of use our collective experience to anticipate the future. Mm-hmm. And when the human population was smaller, when agriculture was a smaller operation um you know there there was a time when you could get away with some of these assaults on nature that that we did that we should never have done but but that we did and the impacts weren't immediate or severe enough to teach us the lessons we needed to learn and so we've always you know we have this false comfort that we've always gotten through it somehow. We've always come up with a technological solution. Uh, you know, things always will work out. Well, you know, as you were saying earlier, they worked out great for the Romans for a while, but right. you know, so, sooner or later your luck runs out. Yeah, And, absolutely. Uh, and if you're smart, you know, you realize that you know, this party can't go on forever. We just can't consume resources on this planet at the rate we are. Uh, without something giving. And it's either going to be our quality of life is going to plummet Mm -hmm. uh, or we're going to reform the way we live and we're going to do things differently. And that's what excites me about biomimicry is, I think there is a happy possibility that we can actually find new ways of doing things, sustain a comfortable lifestyle. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, we don't have to go back to you know, each of us being agrarians with our, you know, food grown in the backyard, that's a great way to go. Uh, if you can do it, I'm such a lousy gardener. I would starve to death soon if that were the only option. Uh, but there are many good arguments for doing that. Uh, but it simply isn't going to work, uh, as an immediate solution, given sort of the, the culture that we have. Um, but we can find new ways of doing things. We can be less wasteful uh, have, leave a less deep scar on the earth with our activities and and understand how the biosphere functions and get in tune with that more than we have in the past.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but again, a logical first step is finding out what's out there. what is it we're trying to we're trying to conserve. eighty mm-hmm. percent uh, of the species we can't Recognize They have no names. We know nothing about them. We can't recognize them. And so for me, an inventory of life is the very first step mm-hmm. toward a bright future, whether it's unleashing biomimetic models or whether it's teaching us to recognize and appreciate other species. It's easy to let things go extinct if they don't have a face or a name. Right. When, when you come face to face with a species, it's much harder to say, oh, I'll let it Go extinct. Uh, most of them. Anyone willing to look closely at how amazing most species are would would concede that they probably have a right to to exist too.
0: Mm-hmm. What is your What is your message to the world?
1: Well, I think number one, we really do need to do an inventory. If we okay. were to find, if we suddenly found that there was life. On Mars, and it was very diverse. Uh I have no doubt that we would spare little expense to send expeditions to discover what life was there and to under and if we knew it was going extinct rapidly, we'd move even more quickly to learn what we could before it was gone. But it's like the grass being greener on the other side of the universe. We Uh we we have taken biodiversity for granted for the entire time that humans have existed. So we just assume it's going to be there when we need it in the future. And that's no longer true. And so the first message is let's learn what we're on the cusp of losing. So let's complete an inventory of life on earth. We now have the means of doing that uh, uh, with with a reasonable investment. We could complete an, uh, the discovery and description of every living kind of thing on earth within 50 years easily and that would be a tremendous investment for the future it would allow us to make more informed conservation priorities in the future mm-hmm. it would fuel a biomimicry revolution for solving problems in new ways and i think it would open our eyes to just how amazingly diverse life on this planet is we uh, most of us don't appreciate just how many different kinds of plants and animals there are and how miraculous this world is and you only need to look out into the universe to appreciate that I mean the dark void of space uh, whether we ever set foot on another planet with diverse life forms is very much a question i I personally believe there are probably lots of planets inhabited out there mm-hmm. I just I just don't think physics is going to allow us to get there right. um, because the 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 first, earth-like planet that looks really promising because it's got a rocky surface and moderate temperatures and Mm -hmm. uh, liquid water and looks like a great place for life to to have arisen there's only one wrinkle it's 550 light years away and so even if we could travel at the speed of light uh, Mm -hmm. which is 186,000 feet per second and or miles per second and we can only travel with the best NASA vehicles, the next generation at about 6,000. Right. Uh, But even if we could travel at the speed of light, it would take a thousand years to go there, get samples and come back. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we really are missing the opportunity to learn the story of the origin and history of life on this most miraculous planet. Mm -hmm. And there'll be no second chances. It'll take, tens of millions of years for life to become diverse again. If, mm-hmm. if we go through an extinction event, like the dinosaurs witnessed. And so we really have the clocks ticking and we have, uh, one precious chance to learn all we can about life on earth. And so that's, that's the core message. So.
0: Absolutely. So what's next for you?
1: Oh my, well, I'm officially retired. Uh, okay. but I'm, but I'm not very good at it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm actually working with a colleague at the British Museum. We're organizing a meeting that will be in England next summer. And uh, we're bringing together a group of experts to confront this very topic. What do we do to accelerate the inventory of life on Earth so that we know more about what we should save and more about what we're losing?
0: Fantastic. This hour went by. It's so fascinating to talk about insects.
1: Yeah, I've enjoyed it very much.
0: Well, maybe we can get you back on at a later time to talk more about this.
1: Sure, absolutely.
0: Okay. Cool, cool, cool. How, how can people find you, sir?
1: Well, uh, I I have a, uh, you know, a website whose address uh-huh. I'm not sure I can reconstruct off the top of my head. Perhaps I can share that with you and you can pass it along. I think uh, I have
0: it, so at the end I'm going to show it.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much. Sure. And uh, and I would urge people if they're interested in this whole issue of species exploration
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and what we ought to be doing and what we're not doing, uh, my recent book called Species Science and Society uh, gets into that. So uh,
0: okay, fair enough. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you, Charlotte. I've enjoyed it very much.
0: All right. I Have a good rest of your evening, sir. Oh,
1: okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay.
0: Bye-bye. See, it's been like this all night. There we go. <laughs> I don't know. I can't get the camera off. Okay. All right. Now, I should be bigger, but it's not letting me. Hang on. Let me do this. See, all kinds of stuff going on quality is not even as clear as it should be anyway uh thanks for coming everybody and look at this look i'm suddenly like really what the heck is going on here i suddenly shrunk anyway thank you everybody for coming i really appreciate it and uh tomorrow we're going to be on at noon with nigel watson talking about uh u.s uh and, uh, and ufo encounters and abductions and all that uh, he is in he is in the UK, so that's why we're going to be on at noon. So remember, noon Pacific time. We're going to be on tomorrow. Again, um, I am going to be doing a meditation next Tuesday night to honor the sturgeon moon. And if you're interested in that, feel free to Google, to uh, roll down on, on the information for the show. Click on that; it'll take you over the Facebook, uh, the, not the Facebook page, but to me that page to sign up with that. Also below that is a psychic development class. If you're interested in that, click on, you know, use that link and get over there as well. Anyway, I want to let you guys go. I'll show you, I'll share his information with you and uh, we're going to call it tonight. But thank you all for coming. And if you like what you saw tonight, be sure to leave me a thumbs up or a smiley face or a heart. If you're on Facebook or and follow me. If you're over on YouTube and you like what you saw tonight, same thing. Leave me some thumbs up and uh, subscribe if you haven't done so already. Okay. All right. Well, I'll see you tomorrow at noon. And uh, have a great evening, everybody. Okay, obviously the right one didn't upload. Hang on, just bear with me. It's here, I know it's here. Nope, that's not it either. Okay, website. <laughs> God, sites.com is a website. And the book is Species, Science and Society. And what on earth is the other book? And they can be purchased on Amazon. So, again, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're just trying to get the word out. Okay, guys, I'll see you tomorrow at noon, hopefully over on Firefox so we don't have these these production issues, but uh, we'll see. Anyway, talk to you later.